it really showed me a whole nother perspective on how people live. Oakwood does, did not look like Bedford-Stuyvesant or East Harlem in the 1960s. A totally different reality. But what I also realized was these folks were very much like me, had the same dreams, the same aspirations, but certainly nowhere near the same opportunities. And that was one of the things that really sort of springboarded me into thinking, whatever I do with my life, I have to do something to promote more equitable and equal opportunities for people in this country. Welcome everyone to the Cassandra Properties Podcast. We have uh, something a little bit different that we're going to do for the next several weeks. Uh, we partnered up with the SIEDC and we thought considering it was Women History Month, it'd be a great idea for us to bring on some of the influencers in Staten Island uh, from both the, the private sector uh, as well as the not-for-profit sector. Uh, we may have some uh, intergovernmental folks as we move through these next few sessions, but we wanted to kind of focus on uh, women of prominence in the community. You know, many of you know we're a city and state certified WBE, so that's something that's near and dear to us. And, and with that, we are joined today by three amazing women, well, two amazing women and Rebecca. If we're gonna really <laughs> I knew that was going. <laughs> you all know how much we love Rebecca, but we've got Rebecca from our shop. How are we doing, Bex? I'm good. Good. And we've got Gina Gutman, the Senior Vice President of the SIEDC. How are we doing, Gina? Hello. All good. Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining. And Diane Arneff, Executive Director at Community Health Action of Staten Island. How are we doing, Diane? I'm doing good today. Good. It's Excellent. Uh, <laughs> great to have everybody. Uh, I appreciate you taking time out. I know it's crazy with all the things that are going on and trying to manage the schedules with COVID and and uh, when we were kind of doing our pre-podcast chat, Diane said she didn't want to talk about Zoom because she's all Zoomed out. <laughs> and I certainly can understand that. I feel like we've gotten to a place, and I tell Becca all the time as I look at my schedule now, Zoom, 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 like a five-minute brief call, Zoom, everything has become a Zoom today. <laughs> yes, it has. Right? Those of us who have been Zooming have to now work with those who have not been Zooming and everybody wants to be a part of the Zoom world. So here we are Zooming. With that, uh, let's start with you, Gina. You've got a, a, a pretty remarkable history. Uh, I know that your, your ties go back into the community here in Staten Island. Uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about, you know, your senior vice president of the SIEDC, I think for like seven years now, is that correct? I am, you've got it, that's true. So how do you end up at the SIEDC? Uh, and is this something that, you know, being in this role was there, did you have this in mind? I know you were with uh, the late great guy Molinari for many years. You know, when did this start to, to formulate? Was it back in college, back in your Syracuse days or? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. I, um, you know, grew up on Staten Island and attended, um, attended school. I was also an avid um, equestrian. So I've been involved with horses for my whole life. And um, so, you know, Staten Island is all about, you know, meeting people and networking. And that really starts um, very early on. And that's honestly um, one of the big basis for the SIEDC is, you know, it's about being able to do business and, and move your career, whether it's your career, your small business, your bigger business, your nonprofit business forward um, through getting to know people, making the contacts um, that can make a difference. So I was able to um, get an interview right out of college at the Staten Island Children's Museum. And, you know, of course, sure enough, I met people I knew who worked there. It was one of these things you just kind of fall into. And I loved it. Fantastic couple of years there. And then I decided that as much as I loved going out and sunning on the lawn at Snug Harbor um, on lunchtime, I probably needed to move ahead. Um, and so that was what I did. I made a phone call to a friend who happened to be the chief of staff, Marilyn Blum, at um, Guy Molinari's office in the borough president's office. And Marilyn was a fellow horse person. And coincidentally, they were hiring for a communications person there to work in the press office and, and to work as um, one of the press secretaries for Guy. And so I was able to get a position and moved on over there. 
um, working for Ed Burke, who was um, actually the uh, one of Guy's um, key players, a member of what they called the kitchen cabinet back then, and um, worked there for a number of years. And interestingly, I don't know that you knew this, James, but um, I don't know if Diane might might remember this, but I um, worked at uh, Borough Hall for several years and right around the same time that Cesar Claro, who's the president of the SIEDC right now, was hired by Guy Molinari to um, really create and, and move forward the SIEDC. So Cesar and I got to know each other because he was really kind of on staff um, at Borough Hall at the same time as I was. And we got to know each other and he was looking to hire someone who would launch a tourism council, a tourism effort on Staten Island. And sure enough, he hired me away from Borough Hall and I went to work for Caesar um, as the director of the tourism effort. Um, we were able to work with the Council on the Arts, um, Laura Jean Waters to get a kiosk um, in the Whitehall terminal. So there were a lot of really interesting things we were able to do at that point. Ultimately, I became the deputy director um, of the SIEDC. Um, and this was when I was in my twenties and we were a much smaller organization then. And um, I did that for several years um, and I loved it at the SIEDC. However, again, um, you know, being in my 20s, I realized that I needed to move around a little bit to move up and onward. And I was hired by someone on our board of directors. Again, going back to the who you meet and how, um, you know, your career progresses and how you can move forward. Um, and Stephen Pagano was our uh, board representative from Staten Island Cable at the time. And he said, I really want you to come and work for me. And so he hired me on as, a, at the time, I was a director of marketing and public affairs for Staten Island Cable. And then I went on to have um, positions in partnerships and promotions and a number, of other, uh, a number of other things for Time Warner for 14 years. And sure enough, again, we had another change of situation and um, I was moved into the Manhattan office. I had a young child, it didn't work for me. I called Caesar. I said, hey, you know of anything open on Staten Island right now? And he said, oh, we're hiring for a senior vice president. We've grown a lot. It's a higher position than what you had when you were here. We're a much bigger organization. And sure enough, back I am. So wow. I have to I have to touch on a couple of things there. <laughs> Ed Burke, right? Wonderful, wonderful human being. Uh, one of my absolute favorite people and still a fixture in Borough Hall. Uh, it seems like Ed is kind of at the center of the universe of like everything that <laughs> happens on Staten Island, right? It's, it's uh, look, we're a half a million people strong, uh, but we're very much a, a close-knit community. And a lot of those connections do happen organically. Um, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, and, and not many people realize this, so much of the work that we've done down in St. George started back under Guy, right? You know, when you mentioned the kiosk at the, the ferry terminal, it's so funny because when we first were doing the initial assemblage work way back when before uh, 155 Bay, uh, 101 Bay rather, and 155 Bay Street, uh, we started thinking about how do we connect with the tourists and how are we going to get the information out that there are these wonderful opportunities to live right adjacent to, you know, the, the water's edge. And we said, let's go to the ferry. This would be a great idea. And we started talking through it. And somebody was like, you know, Guy did this like 30 years ago you know, uh, a really a true visionary and, and someone that um, has had such a profound impact on Staten Island, even many years now after he's gone. But uh, wonderful, again, uh, another wonderful person that's done so much for the borough. Um, I want to jump really quickly, if I can, to Diane, uh, because Diane is in an, an industry that is unique, right? It requires, it's a, it's a, a, a very difficult industry. It requires so much of your, your lifeblood. Uh, and, and it's tough. It's difficult, right? You're, you're not in a, a business like we're in a business, right? You're, you're on the other side of things being as a, a non-for-profit and under your, your tutelage or during your involvement, you grew, uh, let me see if I have this correct. Community health action grew from a six employee agency with a $250,000 budget to an, to an agency that now has a staff of 120 with a $10 million budget. That's remarkable. Yes, it is. <laughs> how, uh, how does, and, and I mean, we're only here for an hour, but you know, we, how does that 
evolution occur? Again, is this something that uh, the community, is this something that's kind of been ingrained from the time you were younger or as you, you know, grew up and got into the, the world, this is something that attracted you a little bit later in life? Well, so, so the interesting thing is, you know, I, I'm from Staten Island. I was born here, grew up here, went to school here, was raised here, raised my daughter here, and I'm still here. Um, and, you know, I've always felt this very deep connection to this community and this, and this obligation to also make this community a better place when I leave it than when I found it. And, and some of this really has to do with with sort of health health concerns and, and some of the disparities in health that I, you know, we've seen over time. And, you know, when I started, you know, I, I was trained as a nurse. And so I did work, I did do the traditional nursing thing for a very short period of time, but didn't really like having doctors tell me what to do. And I felt like I knew better than they did. <laughs> so so uh, apologies to all my doctor friends, but uh, they, they know what I'm talking about in the hospital setting. You know, and I really was interested in public health and community health. And so very, very quickly, I was out of the hospital and into the community and doing work. I was doing work in, in foster care and I did work in uh, family planning for women. And then I did a lot of work in, in adolescent pregnancy prevention. And when I was doing the adolescent pregnancy prevention work was when HIV sort of hit, you know, hit us in the United States. And, you know, of course, adolescent pregnancy prevention is very tied up in human sexuality and that's intersected with HIV. And so I became interested, you know, I was doing work in HIV prevention with young people. And that's when we started the AIDS task force, which was really a grassroots group of providers, people who are interested in this, and also people living with AIDS and their family members who came together on Staten Island when there was really no services here for people. And everyone was still responding to HIV as a terrible crisis. That was the, that was the point where people didn't even know exactly how you got it. So you can imagine it was not only scary to have people getting sick and dying within, you know, weeks and months, but it was also, you know, can it, can it be, you know, can I get it? Can my family members get it? And it was really, it was really a scary time, but the, you know, our organization, my organization, you know, which was the Staten Island AIDS task force when we started has really grown really organically based on the needs and the gaps in services that were on Staten Island. So we, we came, you know, we, we came to the table around the HIV crisis and we stood up a lot of programs for HIV prevention, for direct services for people, did a lot of work advocating for um, people living with HIV and, and working alongside them to make sure that there were services in place and treatment in place. You know, and over time, you know, we, as you may know, we've made incredible strides in basically defeating AIDS. Um, you know, we are, I can remember years when we had in New York State to be eight or 900 babies born who are HIV positive. And over the last few years, maybe there's one, maybe there's none. You know, we've, so, I mean, that's just one great stride we've made, but the, the new infections are coming down we're, we're basically at the point where it's not epidemic proportions anymore. And so, you know, that's the work that we started doing. And then we just evolved to provide services where we saw there were gaps. So, you know, I believe you, you co-founded or you helped found the Staten Island Teen Pregnancy Network back in the early 80s, correct? Yes, yes. So uh, being a lifelong Staten Islander and understanding that sometimes, um, not sometimes, all the time, Staten Island has been perceived as the other borough, right? You know, we haven't had the benefit of being able to garner the, the attention that uh, many of the other boroughs have enjoyed over the years, although that's changing now and it's changing in large, large part uh, because of the work that we're all doing, the work that Caesar has done over the years, which we'll get into, which is remarkable. But back in the 80s, um, at a time when Staten Island was barely on the map, how, what is the process like? How do you even begin, Diane, to cobble together, uh, you know, people that are like-minded and are willing to step out in front of something that was extremely controversial back then and, and make a success of it to secure funding and to be able to put these pieces in play that had to be, un I know how challenging it is today, back in the 80s, that had to be remarkably difficult. 
So you're, you're absolutely right, James. And that's exactly what it was. But I am a stubborn woman. So, <laughs> and I, I once said to somebody, what they're going to write on my gravestone is she pissed off nearly everybody on Staten Island at one point in her career. <laughs> because again, we took, oh, on, we took on HIV. We took on the LGBT service area. We took on the opioid addiction. We took on, you know, the kinds of things that make people uncomfortable. We took on, you know, alternatives to incarceration, you know, having look at looking at people who commit crimes, how it's related to not 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 that they're bad people, but they're involved in they're mentally ill. They have substance use issues, you know, all those kinds of things that, you know, really require a change in people's whole uh, set of beliefs, right? And so, but, you know, but I, but I truly believe that when people understand these things and, and sort of work through them, that they're willing to, to go the extra step. And you're right. I mean, Staten Island is always at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to funding, when it comes to support, when it comes to resources and, you know, even more so in the areas that we're talking about. So in areas like even teen pregnancy prevention or AIDS, you know, you know, we're last on the list to, to get the attention of the city, especially, but even the state sometimes. But at the same time, you know, if that's something your community needs, you fight for it. You fight for it, you raise your voice, you, and you find people who are like-minded, who are willing to do that fight with you. And, and if you're, if you have the, the will and the perseverance, you know, you can see what happens. I mean, we're, we're doing it, we're still doing it. And we're still taking on, you know, those same challenges today. Um, you know, it's, it's a new, now it's COVID, you know, now it's, now there's something else new. And, we, you know, we really focus on, you know, improving the health of the community. That's what we want to do. We want to see where there's gaps and where people have needs um, that can be addressed. And we also, I mean, frankly, one of the things that's really key to my success is, I, I, I honestly believe that, you know, we all owe to our communities a certain, um, a certain amount of attention and care around those who are not as fortunate as we are. I mean, I was lucky to grow up in, in, a, in a comfortable home. I always had enough to eat. I went to good schools. Um, I've been able to support myself my whole life. I've been able to raise my daughter um, she was able to go to, to go to good schools, had a, had, you know, had a good, had a good, uh, and comfortable life and is doing very well, but not everybody has those opportunities. And so part of, part of my job is to make sure that, you know, not only do we address the symptoms of that lack of opportunity, which is what I always say to my staff, all these things that we deal with AIDS, you know, AIDS, COVID, and where it hits hardest is is sometimes a symptom of of things that we we need to address that are underlying causes like poverty and like and and honestly sometimes and with the AIDS crisis there was certainly homophobia that drove some of the the really bad outcomes and now you know now we're looking at you know what kind of impact this racism had on communities so that they're not able to to have the same opportunities and um, and live the same fulfill life that many of us feel privileged to live. Well, without a doubt. Um, you know, in the, the 80s, the late 80s is when mom went out and, and started the company. And, and if you're in real estate or know anything about it, the late 80s was probably the worst time in history outside of um, 2008 and the late 20s to go out and start your own business. But being a, a woman that was uh, launching a uh, a company and, and nevertheless playing in the commercial markets was very difficult uh, for her. And, and that's on the business side, you know, the role that you've chosen and, and you chose this to, to undertake in a borough that let's face it, we have not historically been the most progressive borough, right? I, I can't imagine the challenges that, that you faced in the eighties at a time when, we didn't talk as freely about these things as we do today. And we didn't have the internet and all the wonderful things that come along from a communication perspective and the ability to connect with people and, and to very quickly kind of sync up with like-minded folks and talk through things. It had to be remarkably challenging. 
it, it, it and it was challenging. But the fact is, you know, and you and we all know this. Staten Island is a community of people who care about the community, and so part of it is like breaking through some of those, you know, and some of this is is learned behavior. Some of this is learned attitudes, and and part of my job was to be out there and say, you need to look at this differently. You know, you need to. I mean, I I remember having a, an incredible one of the most heartbreaking experiences I had was I went, I was going to community boards talking about AIDS prevention. And I brought one of my staff with me, who was a man who had, you know, he was a good man. He worked for us. He, he had gone wrong when he was younger, went to prison, you know, whatever, but came out and was doing all this work with people who had been incarcerated. And he came and, and he said, I, I need you, I need folks to understand. He says, I lost, and he was HIV positive. He lost mm -hmm. his wife and his daughter. Now, again, he became infected when he was shooting up drugs when he was 18 and he didn't know what was going on. And people at the community board said, there were some people at the community board that said, well, you got what you deserve. They actually said that to his face. Ugh. Now, again, that's the kind of thing that like really sort of set you back. But then there were people that came up afterward and said, you know, I'm really ashamed that people said that to him. I, re I, I like, I can't believe somebody, it was so disconnected from their own humanity that they would do that. And that, and in the end, you know, Staten Islanders have risen to the occasion. I mean, I, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for the fact that we've had over the years, we've got, we've ended up garnering tremendous support from elected officials, from, from local businesses, from people like Cesar Claro. I mean, he's been a great partner for us in lots of ways, both on the SIEDC side and also on the Richmond County Foundation side. And, you know, these are people who, who listen, who learn, and who are willing to step up, even when it's something that may be unfamiliar or controversial. You know, when people hear and they listen and, they, and they're open, you know, you can, you get growth and you get this pr progress. So, you know, I've been pleased uh -huh. with how Staten Island has stepped up to the plate. Well, we... So we rallied, sorry. right? Sorry, Bex. Uh, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll turn the floor over because I'll never shut up. But <laughs> we we rally when the chips are down. Staten Island is a place that time and time again rallies. We we definitely are a close knit place. And if you're, you know, say what you will about Staten Island, but if you need to get into a foxhole, I want one of my local Staten Islanders in there with me. Sorry, Reeves. Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. I just, I was going to ask Diane if there was anyone um, specifically earlier in your life that was an influence um, because not, I mean, a lot of people live a comfortable life and not everyone is willing to give them, give of themselves and help those around them. And you certainly have um, a heart and a passion for people and helping those who are underserved. So was there anyone uh, specific in your life that you can kind of attribute that to? So that's a, an interesting question, Becca, because one of the things that totally shifted my whole perspective on everything was, you know, I went to St. Joseph by the sea and just dating myself. It was all girls at the time. <laughs> um, and we had some amazing, uh, we had the Sisters of Charity were there. And we had some amazing teachers that um, involved, I got involved in a program that was for the Sisters of Charity across the metropolitan New York area. And they pulled us into these summer programs. And one summer I lived in Bedford Stuyvesant in a community, I lived there. This is in the sixties and taught, uh, it was essentially a STEM program to poor, poor black and brown children who had no, no access to like sort of these enhanced science programs. And another summer I lived in East Harlem and, and taught remedial reading and math to kids from that neighborhood. And we lived in an old convent, which was really weird as you can imagine, because living- Oh yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, it was weird. We, there was lots of jokes around living in the old convent when you're a, <laughs> when you're a 17 year old girl, right? Oh. But um, it really showed me uh, a whole nother perspective on how people live. You know, I grew up in Oakwood. Yeah. Oakwood does, did not look like Bedford Stuyvesant or East Harlem in the 1960s. Mm. A totally different reality. But what I also realized was these folks were very much like me, had the same dreams, the same aspirations, 
but certainly nowhere near the same opportunities. And that was one of the things that really sort of springboarded me into thinking, you know, whatever I do with my life, I have mm -hmm. to do something to promote more equitable and, 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 and equal opportunities for people in this country. So look, we, we all run the same hundred yard dash in life, right? But it becomes infinitely easier to understand um, these challenges when you step outside of your own comfort zone, as you did, and you're placed into a different situation and you can see it firsthand and understand that some of us get to start that hundred yard dash at the 50 and the 60 and the 70. Some of us started at the 20 and the 10, and some of us started at another hundred yards beyond the, the starting line. Um, how do you, how do you possibly sync these things up as we're emerging from COVID? One of the, the challenges um, that the mayor had put forth as I'm on one of the task force there for the reopening committee. Uh, how do we revision these things, but in a, a more inclusive and in a fairer way in New York City? And when you hear people making comments, like you said earlier, that, that they deserved it, um, there's no excuse for that type of, of thinking. But until people put themselves outside of their comfort zones, they just don't get it and they won't get it. And it's very difficult uh, to ask people to make that leap so they do understand. You know, we all have one shot at this life and some of us have just challenges that seem to be so immensely larger than others. It's very difficult. I really do applaud you for the work that you do because it, it's truly it's remarkable. Amazing. It really is remarkable. Mm -hmm. um, Gina, if I can, SIEDC, I wanted to talk a little bit about just kind of basics of SIEDC, and then we'll come back to Diane uh, about community health action. If you could just talk to the audience uh, about what is SIEDC, and again, when we jump back to Diane, what is community health action? We've, we've been blessed with a large audience, so I want to properly frame for folks. Can you talk to us a little bit about the great work that you and Caesar are doing over at SIEDC? Absolutely, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't tell Diane that she's just so amazing that we are, um, I can tell you, uh, not just the, the ladies of the SIEDC, but the men, you know, it's, it's Diane is, is, you know, kind of the, the top echelon of the top echelon, you know, whether you're a for-profit business leader or a nonprofit, what Diane has done over there, not just on a, a you know, the business scale of bringing her from six, six employees to 150 or whatever it is, but, um, you know, the social service aspect of what she's doing is just unparalleled. So hats off to you, Diane. <laughs> so, um, but in terms of the SIEDC, we are an island-wide, um, economic development group, you know, and our efforts really revolve around um, efforts to grow business and grow the business community here and um, promote appropriate development that ultimately results in improvements in the quality of life for Staten Islanders. So it's not just about, hey, let's have, you know, business do well for the sake of this sort of grand, oh, the economy is good. You know, it's really about being able to make a difference because you know what, the owners of our businesses are Staten Islanders who live on Staten Island and work on Staten Island and raise their families on Staten Island. And it all contributes, um, you know, every one of these elements contributes to another. So we want to improve the quality of life and then give them job opportunities because we all know um, that that's one of the, you know, the key aspects of, of making the wheel go round, right, is having people have that opportunity for gainful employment. So the EDC has a variety of different programs um, and, and there are sort of many segments, but we do have a membership program and that's for people who are um, on varying levels, people who are business owners or um People, whether they're nonprofits, for profit, doesn't matter the type, um, they receive a variety of services and a suite of benefits that go along with their membership. Um, and that can range anywhere from financing assistance to intergovernmental services to the pure networking of it. Um, and then we have our events portion. We do a, a probably eight to 10 large scale events, the biggest of which is our annual business conference every year that touches on topics that are um, of importance to the economy locally. And then we've been um, fortunate to work with Diane. She's been actively involved with us over the years on our health and wellness expo, which has um, in the past, you know, this 
2020 was sort of an odd year because we were fully remote. But in the past, we've done these events um, live and in person, and we've attracted between 2,500 and 3,500 people each for these one day events, um, including doing about 2000 free health screenings at our health and wellness expo. And that's been an opportunity really to hone in on um, whatever the sort of the topic of the day has been or the topic of the times really um, at the business conference and, and, and also at the health and wellness expo, what are the issues that are facing Staten Islanders? So we have this, you know, membership, we have events, and then really our biggest and sort of our largest meat and potatoes, as I refer to it, is our projects division. They do our urban planning work. Those are our pure um, business services. And so we have a contract with the city to assist industrial businesses, um, gain all access to all sorts of different types of assistance. We do um, large neighborhood development. So for those of you who saw the pretty lights on Newdorp Lane um, during the holiday season, the SIEDC organizes that as well as um, the working with the business improvement district there. We actually created the business improvement district um, for Newdorp as well as the industrial West Shore. And um, we work with the Victory Boulevard merchants. You've seen, you'll see a lot of these places, um, people know them by events. Oh, the restaurant crawl on um, Newdorp Lane, the SIEDC coordinated that, the car show, which was um, in my mind, I mean, I went, I was like, this is crazy. This is like the number of historic and beautiful cars and people, people everywhere. Um, so we have our neighborhood development end. And then we have, you know, sort of uh, any number of other projects. As you mentioned, the, the, the underserved communities is something that we're really trying to make an impact with. So we've been really working hard with the MWBE businesses. Um, we're doing weekly webinars, free webinars for women and minority business owners who want to come in and learn about whether it's banking, it's PPP loans, it's marketing, it's networking, it's leadership skills. Um, we've been doing weekly uh, free webinars on that. And we also have a number of incubator programs as part of that. We have some uh, women entrepreneurs program where we have about usually about five women a year that are um, brought into this program and then get to be mentored um, through our women's council. Uh, we have a young professionals program. These are free programs where young business, future business leaders are engaged. Um, and then we have the planning work, which is really, I know James, you're familiar with this, but we've, we're involved in a large, a lot of larger scale sort of master planning operations and securing grants to address issues like brownfields, um, the transportation deficit here on Staten Island. We know um, what that looks like. Um, we've, um, we worked for a very long time to get um, the MTA, um, actually the, the state allocated through Assem um, Assemblyman Cusick and um, Senator Lanza allocated funds to the MTA to do a study for a West Shore light rail. That would be a rail line that would run along the West Shore of Staten Island and connect, um, hopefully get people out of some of those cars and be able to put, um, you know, get people to those businesses because the West Shore is booming, you know, with Amazon, the Ikea warehouses. So we've got a large portion of our time that's also spent on planning and trying to look at bigger picture items that we can bring home and really make a difference. We worked very closely with Diane on an employment program. We came to one of her food pantries every week. Over the past approximately two years, we were able to place um, almost 100 people in jobs here on Staten Island, as well as to train 100 of them with um, for workforce readiness training. So we kind of have our hands in a lot of different things. So if it's business oriented, you have to think SIEDC because we probably have one service or another that would fit um, for what someone would need. So uh, amazing work. Um, the, the workforce training programs, by the way, um, outstanding. So many times people look past the the fact that we need to spend time, and we did this with uh, Councilmember Rose and Goldman Sachs, along with BFC. They they all put up uh, a pretty chunk of change when we were doing the uh, higher NYC program uh, that the mayor wanted to roll out down through the RFP. Um, the soft skill training is so important. Just getting people an interview wasn't enough, right? If if we really wanted to make an impact. You have to go beyond that and and train uh, these folks up to understand what does resume building look like? What do you wear to an interview? What are the questions that you ask? How are you prepared? Otherwise, you don't have a shot, right? So I applaud you for that work, um, Diane. You know, you're in a service-based industry, uh, and and I'm going to get to COVID in a few minutes, but I was just hoping you could you could touch on 
uh, a few of the services that you offer down at Community Health Action. Uh, again, just to educate the audience, it goes far beyond uh, the HIV and the AIDS work that you referenced earlier. Can you just give us a couple of minutes on all of the different things or some of the different things that you're offering? Okay, let me try to give you the, the five minute elevator, <laughs> elevator pitch, right? The ones that they always tell you you should be able to do, which I always say is such a challenge for me because we do so many different services. But, you know, we're basically focused on improving the health of Staten Islanders. And how do we do that? I mean, some of the ways that we do it is um, we offer very basic low threshold services which support people in just uh, living, right? So we have a, a huge emergency feeding program at the food pantry that Gina mentioned. Um, we have, so we have a, a fixed site food pantry and we have a mobile food pantry that goes to 14 different neighborhoods over the course of a month and provides um, you know, healthy food for people who are food insecure. And this year, because of the huge response around the pandemic, 2.5 million meals in 2020 were provided to Staten Islanders wow. through our feeding programs. But through the feeding programs, we also have other kinds of services that help help in, improve people's um, financial security. We have we have health insurance enrollment programs, so we do screening and we help people in the marketplace as well as to get. Um, uh, the public health insurances, but we also help people with marketplace insurance. We have a SNAP screening and enrollment program, helping people who are eligible to get food stamps. The other things is we do a lot of free health screenings. So we do diabetes screenings. We, sh we just launched not that long ago a really innovative program screening um, for hypertension in, in a barber shop. Uh, and we're gonna be partnering with other barbers and, and other community-based services to screen um, as, as with a focus on black men who have the, the highest mortality and morbidity from hypertension um, because they're not necessarily um, uh, being screened, being identified as having high blood pressure and having support to connect to the services they need. So we've also done, we do diabetes screening in the community. We, do, we still do a lot of, we probably do the most HIV testing, uh, community-based HIV testing in the community as well. And then we have some unique programs which are to help people with substance use disorder. We have the only 24 hour resource and recovery center probably in the city. Um, so in that resource and recovery center, we have a, a wide variety of services for people who are struggling with substance abuse. So it's a walk-in, it's a walk-in center, it's a call-in center, it's a drop-in anytime center and say, I'm having a problem with XYZ, cocaine, heroin, pills, alcohol. I need your help. I need to talk to somebody. And what, what are, we have trained counselors there and we have uh, peer specialists there who can work with people, help connect them to the services they need. Sometimes they need to come in and talk a couple of times because they really don't know where they are and where they want to go. We also provide those same services for family members there and all those services are free. That same site, that 24-hour site, also partners with the, with the Richmond County DA's office where we do what's called the HOPE program, which is actually one of these programs that, again, works to interrupt that cycle of substance abuse and, and criminal behavior by working with the police precincts on diverting people with low-level drug arrests into services if they're related to substance abuse. Um, and also working with people who are going through the courts who may have low level arrests for crimes that are related to their substance use. So, and these are nonviolent crimes. So shoplifting, you know, breaking and entering, breaking into cars, and then it's identified that the person has mental illness or they have a substance use disorder. They're put into an intensive program in, in our site where we work with them to deal with the substance use, which then hopefully will, will eliminate the the, the criminal behavior that they've been involved in so to support that substance use. So we, we also have a domestic violence program where we work with um, women. Uh, we work with the Staten Island Family Justice Center. So we get referrals from them and, and from other providers and from our own programs um, and work with women on safety planning, on, on getting them into, into secure and safe places when they need to be, on providing counseling for them and their families to help them move towards self-sufficiency because it, they very often, women are trapped in, in, in many ways in these relationships and not just physically, but emotionally. And so we have a trained uh, social worker who also works with them. 
We have a lot of case management, pro we have an alternatives to incarceration program, which is new, again, working with the courts to actually move people away from incarceration and moving them into, um, you know, into, into services when, when, when they, you know, when, when there's opportunity for them to actually shift what they're doing and, and, uh, and not be in jail and instead be in the community and become productive citizens. We have case management programs for people with chronic illnesses. So people that are suffering and trying to navigate all these complicated systems with diabetes and heart disease and, and hypertension. Uh, we have case managers that work with them and help them identify, you know, where they, you know, where they can get connected. What are the barriers to their services? If they don't have insurance, we help them get insurance. If they don't have transportation, we work with the different programs to help get, make sure they get there. Um, and then what else am I missing? We have a lot of, we still have a lot of HIV prevention programs. So working with people on really um, identifying for them risks of HIV and how they can mitigate those risks, working with individuals in the community, especially people who come through our testing. We have a big HIV testing program. They come through our testing program and if they identify risk behaviors, we, we connect them with a navigator who actually helps them you know, work through those risks, identify those risks and mitigate them. So that's, I probably am missing some program if one of my staff- That's it, Diane, that's all you do? I know, I mean, I I, know. It doesn't sound like there's very much going on there. <laughs> so what is, what is oh, that's amazing. Yeah. We, have, we have specialized HIV case management programs also for people who, who are HIV positive and need assistance navigating those systems. Because unfortunately, you know, and if we had wonderful systems, you wouldn't need navigators. But as anybody knows, anybody who has a, a parent or a child that you've tried to actually navigate through the healthcare system, mm. you know, even with the, even with a college degree and lots of friends in high places, sometimes it's impossible to get what you need from that system. It's not set up to be so customer friendly, you know. And then again, we do lots of work with with other partners in the community. I mean, the SIEDC has been a tremendous partner from the beginning for the work that we do. As Gina mentioned, Gina mentioned the employment program, but we've also, you know, we've worked on the health conference. We've done Narcan trainings for people in the community. Um, you know, we do a lot, we do a lot of work with people who are chronic and long-term substance users too, and getting them, trying to get them connected to treatment. And we actually had a very successful program running out of Fort Richmond, where we actually have connected people who used drugs for decades into like a, a very, low threshold program where they come in, there's a nurse who actually helps them and manages and, and, and many of these people are marginally housed and you know they're doing really well. And we didn't even lose any of them during the COVID. Like even with everything shut down, we were able to stay in contact with them. Um, and so, you know, the, and the work that we've, we, again, the work that we've partnered with, with the SIEDC on the health conferences has been just fabulous. And now we're working with them on the on their project around the digital divide because, you know, we know how that's going to impact the people that we work with. You know, people who are poor, um, people that don't have the resources to afford broadband or to afford the, the devices. How are they going to now connect to these telehealth visits that everybody wants to do? You know, how do you how are you going to even apply for a job? I mean, when I was growing up, you know, you you, you type the resume up. You put it in an envelope, you put the stamp on it, and you sent it out, and you waited for somebody to call you on the telephone and tell you that you had an interview. Not well, like that's not the way we do business anymore. And you know, I, I was talking with we, we have a program where we're working um, with veterans to make sure that they're, especially older veterans, so that they're connected and we're, we're sort of watching them during COVID to make sure that they're, you know, they're supported, especially these guys that live by themselves. And I was talking to the one man the other day and he's like, you know, I, I, I needed to do, I needed to get my new driver's license, but I couldn't because I couldn't, I couldn't go out. I had to get my eye exam. And I'm like, just like, let's, let's take it step by step. You know, everybody needs a little bit of extra support now. And so we, you know, we're, we're looking at ways to continue to support, you know, all the people that we've been working with historically um, through COVID as well. We've been, we've been doing a tremendous amount of work in outreach and education around the COVID testing and the, and the testing and tracing so people feel comfortable. You know, when, when the health department calls them up, they don't hang up on them. 
and, and letting people know where testing is available. And, and now we're, we're doing a lot of work around the vaccination as well. So Diane, you know, we've had an interest, I'm sorry, James, to hijack here, but while we have Diane here, you know, one of the things that the SIEDC was um, looking into and um, was to see if there were any providers. And I don't know now that Johnson & Johnson is coming out with a vaccine, which is not, um, you know, temperature dependent and, and that sort of thing, whether, um, you know, there are opportunities for a mobile unit to go out and, um, you know, deliver the vaccines that, in, in our case, we were looking at places of employment, you know, places where um, people have their employees, they want to get them vaccinated for the safety of in turn their clients, but they don't have a means of getting people out. And, and um, that was one of the things I know you have the mobile health units, whether that's something that's a possibility, um, you yeah, know, certainly that's, something, that's you know, it's definitely something to talk about. I mean, that, that's the, that's a, the beauty of Staten Island, right? is to open up these conversations and talk about how can we partner so that, you know, I would love to support our local business owners who've been struggling so, so much. I mean, we, we had one of our volunteers has been calling up like Trader Joe's and some of the other smaller grocery stores asking them if we could help them get vaccines. And, you know, but it's, it's so difficult, right? And bringing it to them would be so much easier. And, and you're right, the, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine I mean, not only is it not temperature dependent, it's also a one dose. Right. So, so it, you know, it's, it's a one and done and it's, you know, it it's appears to be effective. So, um, you know, that would be a great opportunity for us to partner. And then to, you know, when people are, you know, there's different eligibility at the moment, but when, when most people become eligible, that would be a great project to work on because I would be, I would be very interested in like in helping small businesses by bringing, you know, bringing vaccinators out to them. So this is what the, the podcast was about. When we started this thing, we wanted it to be just a place where we can connect dots and offer people a platform uh, and just give people an opportunity to connect and communicate. So a lot of good things have come from it. And um, I appreciate you guys being on. I wanted to jump back to Rebecca for a minute because I teased you in the beginning. And, and you know, as I always do, because that's just my mm -hmm. way of showing how much we love you. But, you know, we haven't talked about this and everyone's got their, their story and, and yours is remarkable in its own way. Did you always picture yourself being in this type of a position in this type of a role uh, as you, you know, kind of took the next step in your professional career and growing up, what were your influences or um, inspirations, you know, to kind of push through and, and you've stepped into a a very busy, very high paced, uh, fast paced, you know, high stress situation here over the last several years. And you've done an unbelievable job, uh, you know, running things around here. What was that like for you? And, and is this really where you, you kind of envision you'd end up? Wow. That was a, that was a lot of questions at once, James. <laughs> That's okay. I, I know, I know. Um, growing up. So growing up, I was always the, um, the one that, I guess people would say is the bossy one or the leader of the group kind of thing, which I'm sure the other two women on this um, Zoom would, would probably say the same thing. Um, we all tend to kind of have that little personality trait that pushes us um, to be to be leaders. Um, I certainly did not see myself um, per se in this role. Um, HR was where I was, which most people know, um, prior to coming into the real estate world. And I, I love, I love people. I've always had a heart for people and I like to work with them. So HR kind of was a good fit for me because at the same time, um, I like to be in charge of things. So, um, it was a good mix. I got to be in charge, but I got to help people at the same time. Um, and this role for me has just been so fulfilling, um, to be able to, to help people and to just kind of watch this company grow and see all of the good things that we've been able to do because of, um, what we've been able to accomplish as a company. Um, so I, I just, it, it's been, it's been a great experience for me. I don't know if I got all those questions answered or not, James. But. Almost. So I can't <laughs> imagine I people thought you were bossy. I mean, that's why <laughs> I know not me <laughs> inspirations growing up inspirations oh that's well ooh that's a good one um the women in my family are 
are all kind of the same. We are all very strong, um, go-getter kind of women. And I think just being able to watch um, my grandmother and my mom um, played a really important, important role in my life. And I always aspired to be bigger and better and to, you know, make sure I didn't get pushed around and I got to um, be able to fulfill the desires that I had for my life. So good stuff. So Gina, back to you for a minute, you know, under Caesar's watch and, and the team that he's put together, you guys have done a remarkable job uh, since its inception. And again, straight through the one constant has been Caesar. So we have to give credit here where credit is due 550 million in new investments 3,500 new jobs, over a thousand acres of vacant land being developed, uh, and just countless uh, lifts for the small businesses um, during coronavirus. And now, hopefully, we're emerging from coronavirus. Uh, the business community on Staten Island has been hit very hard, and it, it has really been uh, a challenge for uh, for most of us. What are some of the things SIEDC are doing? Uh, to help folks as we kind of hopefully turn the corner here and, and, and we start building a little momentum as we emerge from this pandemic? Well, one of the things, you know, that we've been really um, it, very involved in is supporting the local businesses who are looking for financing. You know, all these um, city and state programs came out, the PPP loans. Um, and one of the things that we were able to do immediately was to engage businesses who needed support there and to act as agents and get them um, routed to banks who would be able to process loan um, applications for them. So we've been, we were very successful. I think we helped about 14 different groups who wanted specifically PPP loans and then many others who were um, involved in other city programs for, um, you know, funding support. So those were key elements that we did very early on. The other thing is we were able to work with the city to distribute over 40,000 masks. Um, when, you know, PPP, PPE equipment, the PPP and the PPE, <laughs> all those P's, um, you know, when the PPE equipment, you know, really getting that out um, was a really big thing initially. And to make those supplies available readily to businesses was very important to us. So we were able to do that. We worked, um, you know, we worked with Diane um, as again, as I mentioned, um, we had a, a city grant um, that we were working on and unfortunately we weren't able to do some of the things, but we were able to pivot really quickly there and do a, um, in recognition of Earth Day, it was an earth oriented, it was a, you know, a greener New York grant. We were able to work with Diane to do a food pantry um, event where we brought meals to the pantry as well as um, some other activities for kids, you know, green coloring books and those sorts of activities for kids who are visiting the pantry um, as well as send them home with a, um, some kind of a plant as well for in recognition of the Earth Day event. So we've been doing all, all sorts of things and continue every day to work um, with our merchant groups in Newdorf. We worked on the Open Streets program to make sure that some of those restaurants had the opportunity to um, expand their footprint and try and get as much business as they could, knowing how, how difficult it's been, particularly for the restaurant business. So we really have been there. We've done, um, we've done virtual events in those districts to keep awareness about you know, shopping local is so important um, now more than ever to help the guy on the corner who's also your neighbor by the way um, you know we want you to be out there and using those businesses we've done virtual events we've done um, a lot of intergovernmental navigation a lot of help to businesses who needed to know like well, what do I really have to do and can I open can I not open a lot of one-on-one -on -one counseling and those sorts of things and we're continuing with all of those things as we move forward we're in round two of the PPP loans obviously are out there now uh, and continuing to support those businesses and and then again you know our services are available for free so businesses are encouraged to visit our website you know SIEDC.org you can see some of the programs that we're working on and feel free to call you know reach out to the office. If there's a business out there that has a question or needs some assistance, you know, we're here to help. Um, we want to be able to help you and point you in the right direction. Um, whether you're a for-profit, you're big, you're small, you're a startup, you're working from home, you're home-based, um, it doesn't matter who you are. We're here to help the entire community. So I encourage everybody to call because we, you know, we are here and this is our mission. Our mission really is to, um, you know, support the business community and to, and to make things better here. So um, we'll continue to do that in as many ways as we can um, have our hands in those different pies to support local businesses, particularly during the pandemic we're here. Really appreciate it. Um, Diane, some of the accomplishments and awards over the years, New York Times Award 
for Nonprofit Management Excellence, the Joan Tisch Community Health Prize, Lewis R. Miller Business Leadership Award, New York City Council AIDS Champion Award, the Women's Foundation Community Heroes Award, the Public Health Community Award, uh, the, and the, the, the accolades and the accomplishments go on and on. It, it, it was going to require an extraordinary woman to be able to carry chassis through COVID and the challenges being in a, a essentially a nonprofit whose entire model is based around providing service to folks who are in need. Just briefly, if you can touch on how challenging has that been and what are the, some, of the, some of the things that you've done to keep these things moving forward in what seems like an absolute impossible task? So let me say first, you know, they always give the head of the organization the award when, when none of this stuff happens unless you have tremendous staff working, working and committed to the same, the same commitment and the same strength of ideals that you do. And, you know, I, I just have tremendous staff that do this work every single day and have done it over the 30 years that I've been doing this work. But, you know, one of the things we did was we, as soon as lockdown came, you know, and our, we have a very hands-on approach to the work we do. You know, it's all about connecting with people and, and helping them through, giving them a helping hand. And so when the lockdown, when the total shutdown came, we made a decision that there were some programs that were essential. For example, our emergency feeding program, we never shut down that program. We pivoted to outside, we distributed food in our driveway instead of in our building. Uh, we set up new new protocols so people were safe. We our mobile food pantry continued to go out. Our 24-hour resource center continued to to be open for people who needed help. And in fact, we were distributing food out of there for a long time. Um, and our other programs, which were the ones that we would deliver in person, our counseling, our our, our groups, our support groups, our navigation to and linkage to care our screening programs, all of those went remote and we pivoted. I mean, those people were working, our staff were sent home, they were working from home and we were able to continue to deliver those, those services in, in innovative ways. And it was interesting because as I told you, we had this one program for really chronic drug users uh, to help to put them in treatment for opioid use disorder. And we had a hundred people in that program and they used to come in all the time to see their nurse manager and she managed to connect with them by text. She set up this whole texting protocol where they would text her every week and say what they were doing. And they started to text her and say things like, I'm really feeling bad. You know, I really, I'm really struggling with my recovery. And she would like text them back at like four o'clock in the morning saying, hang in there, hang in there. We'll talk tomorrow morning and you'll get through it. And, and so we had amazing staff that were doing this kind of work. We had staff that were reaching out to all of our seniors who we didn't want to come to the food pantry and we, we were actually delivering groceries to them for a period of time. So seniors and people with, with immunocompromised, um, we, we lifted in like two weeks, all of a sudden we were delivering to 150 different houses food every week. Um, and again, these were people who really shouldn't be out at the food pantry, right? These are people who were really at much greater risk of getting sick and getting really sick from COVID. So, you know, my staff just did an amazing job at, at, at all the things that we, we, we developed in, at an at-home HIV testing program, a whole protocol, they, you know, the staff put it together where the, they get the counseling on the phone and we mail them an HIV test. And they do it and we, we walk them, through, you know, it's a, it's a finger stick, right? We, we walk them through it. They do it. They, they mail it off. Um, you know, you have to be creative in these, in these, but you know, in the end we are, we are charged with delivering these services. And, you know, now we're back, now we're back in the offices. Again, we're on staggered schedules. Now we're seeing many more clients in person than we were seeing, you know, back in March, April, May, June. Um, but we're doing it safely. And the fact is, you know, with all of that activity going on, we didn't have one person in our organization become, become positive from an exposure at work. Wow. Because people have been, because, and again, because my operations staff 
we're like we're very very diligent about setting up all kinds of protocols making sure that all the staff had everything they needed to protect themselves depending on what their level of client interaction was you know we had food pantry staff that were coming in contact with 500 people in one day wow. you know some of them had masks some of them didn't especially in the beginning um and and yet we you know we have no we had no cases of transmission and we we, we have people that tested positive on our staff who came in contact but because we were following the protocols and really being diligent you know no one became infected at work wow. so we're pushing up here and i can go on for hours but we're pushing up on the the one hour mark here diane if, if people wanted to help out how can they help out what's the best way to get in touch with the organization okay so I hope I, I'm going to remember this number. So we have, because we have a 24 hour resource center, that's one of the good places to call because they can route you to whatever you need. So regardless of what the need is of all the things that you've heard that we do today, if you call this one number, they'll be able to connect you to the person. So it's, it's 718-808-1450. And again, that's the next step resource and recovery center. And, you know, but they, they can connect you to any of these services. Great. And, and Gina, what's the best way for folks to reach out to the SIEDC? Um, absolutely. They can just visit the website, um, SIEDC.org, or they can always call our office. We are on staggered schedules as well, but we are working 718-477-1400. Well, Rebecca, Gina, Diane, uh, it really is an honor and a privilege for me to be able to host this podcast today. Uh, the community is far better off having amazing women like you uh, in these roles. We're really appreciative and uh, just wanted to say thank you and everybody out there, please stay safe.